In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I rejoiced at the things that were said to me. We shall go into the house of the Lord. Today is one of two occasions during the church year when the sacred ministers wear rose vestments, symbol of joy. In both instances, this is done in the middle of the two great penitential seasons of the year, Advent and Lent. The purpose of these two Sundays is not to cheer us up as though penance had made us sour and melancholy. The Church reminds us rather that penance, when it is practiced for the love of God, should bring us joy. The Gospel chosen for this Sunday since time immemorial is the feeding of the 5,000, the great miracle which took place in the second year of our Lord's ministry. It is, in fact, the only miracle, besides the resurrection, that is recorded by all four evangelists. For most of our Lord's miracles, we look to one or more Gospels, but not all four, bearing witness at the same time to this great event. St. John places this miracle only four chapters after our Lord's first public miracle, which he alone recounts for us, the miracle of the water made wine. The way St. John presents it to us is that before speaking to the people of the good things to come, above all, the gift of the Blessed Eucharist, Christ gave them good things to bring them joy at that very moment. If Holy Mother Church wills that this gospel should be read year after year on this Sunday, it is above all to remind us that Christ has given us the good gift of himself from now until the end of the age by his real presence and the blessed sacrament of the altar so that far beyond the figures of the Old Testament we may truly call this place the house of the Lord. And we should rejoice far more than the Hebrews of old when we go into this house, for the Lord is really here waiting for us. Chesterton said, there is only one unanswerable argument against Christianity. Christians. I suppose the meaning of this is that you can't argue against scandal. However fine a presentation we might give on the doctrine of original sin and the workings of grace, the sacraments and the marks of the true church, when unbelievers see Christians sinning, they cry hypocrisy and are content to conclude that Christianity must not be true. Now, I know all of you would be capable of making a long list of sins committed by Christians which would be chiefly responsible for this scandal, especially sins against charity. But there is one form of scandal which a lot of us might forget to put on the list. I am speaking of the scandal of sadness. If everything Christianity says is true, why are Christians not happy morning, noon, and night? 
Now, I'm not referring here to the natural human emotion we call sadness. Having to say goodbye to a friend or family member, grief over a departed loved one, lamenting the evil at work in the church and in our society. Feeling sadness is a part of being human. None of these things should rob a Christian of his inner joy. The sadness we have to combat today is truly a higher spiritual malady. Just as there is a just anger and a sinful anger, so there is a good sadness and a bad sadness. St. Paul teaches us, the sadness according to God worketh penance unto salvation, but the sadness of the world worketh death. Sadness according to God is nothing other than true contrition for our sins. Far from robbing us of our joy, it is its veritable foundation. As for the sadness of the world, it may well be equated with the deadly sin of sloth. But there is some merit in employing the word sadness. The ancient desert fathers, in reckoning what would become known as the seven deadly sins, distinguish sadness from laziness. Thus sadness could be called, with some rhetorical effect, the eighth deadly sin, the deadliest of all, though pride is the most devilish. For to have spiritual sadness, to throw in the towel and be conquered by discouragement, a despair when you look afar off to your eternal crown and consider the fight that lies ahead in order to obtain it, this is the one irreparable tragedy. In fact, there is only one tragedy in life, dying in the state of mortal sin. Christians in the state of grace have no right to be sad. The great St. Teresa called this life one night in a bad wayside inn. During this short life, we may have grief, sickness, injury, scandal, betrayal, but it's all going to end very soon. We all have eternity to look forward to. Of course, we must hope for heaven and not presume, but that has nothing at all to do with being sad. We all have a grave duty to be joyful. Joy may be largely defined as the delight we take in a good which is possessed already here and now. And who among us would dare to say that we do not already possess our Lord in a large degree already here in this life? We have the Catholic Church, source of all graces here on earth. We have this beautiful church and countless others where our Lord is really, truly, and substantially present. We have confession, extreme unction, matrimony, holy orders, all the sacraments, visible signs which contain the grace they signify, supernatural signposts to keep us on the road to heaven. It has been well said that joy is the simplest form of gratitude. If so, we had all better show our joy this year, for we have a lot to be grateful for here at St. Mary's. Twenty years ago, your preacher 
was still discerning his vocation. A local boy was the Bishop of La Crosse, and few people supposed that he would soon be a cardinal for the Holy Roman Church. A young German Monsignor, member of an even younger religious community, had only recently found himself in a new world called Wisconsin. And he smiled wryly when he passed by cemeteries and remarked just how many tombstones bore the name of Schmitz. The statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which had lain in obscurity in Germany for over 500 years, was about to be welcomed to a new home. On May 31st, we will celebrate 20 years of memories, families founded, friendships formed, 20 years of sacraments, 20 years of graces flowing from masses, baptisms, confirmations, marriages, 20 years of conversions, countless souls won to the Catholic faith by the splendor of truth, 20 years of vocations, souls who have discerned God's will through hours of prayer within these hallowed walls. So many people contributed to making this holy inspiration a reality. Priest and prelate, layman, architect, all played their part. But at the end of the day, we must all acknowledge that we did not earn this church restoration, this oratory, any more than we earned the sacred and venerable Roman liturgy that is celebrated within it. It has been given to us. That should be enough to inspire our joy this day. When I was brought back here after seven years of seminary, I was mindful of the need to pay my debt to St. Mary's Oratory and do what I could to ensure that her future would be secure for your children and grandchildren. Now here I am after 12 years at the helm of this finest ship in the American fleet. I have seen us pass through many storms. Perhaps the worst lies ahead, and bitter grief and weeping are not far off. Whatever evils may beset us, they cannot rob us of the one necessary joy which we have, I hope, all obtained here, the joy of belonging to God. Indeed, it is in large part thanks to St. Mary's that we can apply to ourselves the words of our joyful patron, St. Francis de Sales. What a happiness to belong entirely to God. For he loves his own, he protects them, he conducts them, he brings them into the harbor of a desirable eternity. Remain then thus, and never permit your soul to be saddened or to be in bitterness or scrupulosity, since he who loved it he who died to make it live is so good, so sweet, so amiable. Yes, my children, abide in joy. Set your heart on the victory that is close at hand, when you will close your eyes for the last time of this veil of tears and open them again only to exclaim, I rejoiced at the things that were said to me. We shall go into the house of the Lord. Amen.